You're listening to Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue with Adam Bartels. Nine-yard pickup there for O'Connell. He's going to throw on first down to the end zone. Pass is caught. Touchdown, David Bell. Down the right sideline, they threw the fade to the right side. And Bell outleaped the defender for the score. Purdue right back in this football game. O'Connell looking to throw. Aiden throws to the end zone, and that pass is caught. Touchdown! Hamad Anderson, Jr., and the Boilermakers have their first lead of the afternoon. All right, welcome to another episode of Full Steam Ahead, a podcast about Purdue. That audio off the top, courtesy of Learfield IMG College. And of course, a voice most of you, if not all of you, recognize the one and only the great Tim Newton uh, from this past football season, calling a couple of plays there. It is my honor to bring in Tim Newton to the podcast. How are you doing, Tim? Adam, I'm fine. And as I'm sure people understand now, I look much better on radio. <laughs> you and me both. Uh, that's why I'm not on TV. It was my dream for a while, but there's a reason I never made it that far. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Uh, Tim, welcome to the podcast. Uh, how are you doing? Doing fine. As you can tell, it's a beautiful day behind me. Um, uh, the, the one thing about working at home, as many of us have done for the last few weeks and months, when you have a spouse who's also working at home, sometimes you have to find the quietest part of the house. And right now, that's the back of this porch. So nice. that's where I am. Well, I appreciate your time. Uh, real quickly, before we get started, I just want to, I think it's important to address uh, the current state of affairs in our, our country. And I just want to quickly send my heart and my prayers out to all of those who are hurting the, the family of George Floyd and all of those who have just been treated unfairly with the systemic racism and, and unfortunate events that have been happening in our country. My heart, my prayers are out to all of you. And I think it's important that uh, we as um, white Americans are in, in everybody in America that we listen and that we um, let your voice be heard. And so I am efforting a, a podcast here in the near future to kind of talk about some of those important issues. So just wanted to, to say that before we got uh, jumped into our episode, I just feel like it's a, uh, an important issue to, to talk about. So uh, thank you, Tim, for understood, listening. Understood and agreed. Yes, thank you. Um, we've got a long way to go, um, but hopefully we are uh, going to make progress in that area. So uh, with that said, Tim, let's uh, get jumped in here. Um, Let's talk about your 1981 graduate from Purdue. Talk about um, where you're from and how you got to Purdue. That's a good question because it was actually kind of a random thing as most things and many things in life are. Uh, I'm from Western New York, a little town about 30 miles outside of Buffalo. Uh, I grew up in Irving, New York, went to Silver Creek High School, uh, which nobody famous has come from and that has continued with me leaving. Um, I, I, really didn't know what I wanted to do coming out of high school, but you take all those aptitude tests. And one thing that I kept finding over and over is everyone told me to go into math because I was pretty good with numbers. So naturally I decided to do something that was completely unrelated to that. Um, the way I got interested in broadcasting was uh, as many people do in high school, you have the opportunity sometimes as a student to uh, get on the PA system and read morning announcements. And so I volunteered to do that my junior year. And, and I came back to homeroom afterward and somebody said, hey, you sounded pretty good. You should go into radio. And it was really the first time I'd ever thought of that. Um, at the same time, I love sports, but I knew I was never going to be an athlete to, to get to a next, whether it was a collegiate or a professional level. So I looked at this as a marriage of a chance to 
do something that I might be good at with a, something that I knew I would love to do. And so that's, that's how the broadcasting thing started. The Purdue thing, um, originally I planned on going to Notre Dame because everybody wanted to go to Notre Dame. If you're a college football fan in the 70s, this is before every game was on television, but you would get up Sunday morning and you would watch the Notre Dame highlights package that uh, uh, Lindsey Nelson and Paul Horning would come on and they would do the hour long edited down. You know, we move now, now we now move ahead to further action uh, in the third quarter. Uh, so I actually, I applied to Notre Dame and I was accepted and, and I thought, well, this, this is probably the way it should be. But then I thought, well, you know, I looked at the price tag and I thought, well, that's pretty expensive to go to a small private Catholic school. Maybe I should look somewhere else. And, this is back in the days before the internet and before you had an opportunity to really look and see what was out there. Uh, and we had one of those big books, I think Barron's put it out with a list of all the colleges in there and all of the degrees that they offered. And since it was open to the state of Indiana, I just flipped ahead a couple of pages or back, I can't remember which way, there was Purdue. And Purdue was a free application at the time. And I knew the word Purdue because they played Notre Dame every year. So I thought, well, <laughs> Just to be as a, a safe backup, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put Purdue down. So I applied to both places, got into both, and I came out to visit Purdue in October of my uh, senior year in high school. And I immediately thought, this is it. This is a fit. I can tell I'm going to be belong here. And I never made a trip to Notre Dame. So that was the end of that. Uh, put my deposit in and, and the rest 40 some years later is I'm still sitting here in Tippecanoe County. That's awesome. That's a great story. And us Purdue fans are thankful and blessed that you chose Purdue and the contributions you have done both to the university and to uh, sports programmings with uh, your voice. Uh, uh, we appreciate that. So we're glad you made that right choice. <laughs> Sometimes uh, fate happens in a, a certain way and you, you don't question it after a while. You just figure <laughs> that that's the way it's supposed to be. There you go. So you graduated in 81. You've been back since 89, if I'm correct. That's right. Actually, uh, when I graduated from Purdue, I went back to New York because I didn't have a job when I left in December of 81. Uh, and I went back and I, I was actually living in my parents' basement, which is the dream of every college graduate. Uh, I found a job at a local radio station, country and western station, although I, had, I knew nothing about that music. I learned it pretty quickly. But three months later, I had an opportunity to come back to Lafayette uh, there was a radio station here in town, WASK, that was looking for a full-time sports director. And ironically, uh, at the time, Larry Clisby, who's still hanging around and, and doing Purdue basketball, uh, was the, he was doing morning sports, and then he was doing sales in the afternoon. And they had another fellow on staff named Lanny Sego who would do sales, and then he would do sports. Uh, Larry would do sports in the morning. Lanny would do it in the afternoon. So they decided that they wanted somebody to come in and do just be a full-time sports guy with no sales, which obviously appealed to me because of the connections I had made when I worked at Purdue as a student. Uh, I knew some people there and, and was able to get in and get a job. I worked there for four years and then um, I won't bore you with the long story, but the long story, a short story is I wound up back in my parents' basement, which is the dream of every 26 year old uh, with a college degree. Uh, a couple of years later, uh, I, I wound up back in Lafayette, and I, I started working at the Journal and Courier, the new, local newspaper, uh, part-time. I uh, actually worked at a bank full-time, and during that time, I actually met my wife, who, who was sitting in this pod next to me. So again, fate kind of works in strange ways. Then in 89, I had an opportunity to join the university full-time, and I worked at the university news service for three years. 
I went from there to the Alumni Association for about seven years, and I edited the Purdue Alumnus Magazine. And then in 2000, I started working at Cranert as Director of External Relations, and I'm still there 20-some years later. That's awesome. I love that story. That's great. And talk about what your current role is with Cranert now. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's a fancy title that nobody understands, including me, Director of External Relations and Communications. So basically, uh, I oversee the alumni relations area. We've got a staff of folks that try to service the 40,000 Cranert alumni in the Purdue community. Uh, and we do that, we, we do a number of projects. I'll give you an example of something we're working on now that actually is, is related to, to the COVID-19 thing. Um, as, as many people have heard, President Daniels is intending and hoping to get students on campus for the fall, but one of the things that we have to do is to find out a way to make that safe. So we've come up with a project where we're teaming students who maybe had their summer internships canceled because of the virus or are just looking to gain more experience. Uh, we're, we're allowing those students to work in teams to try to come up with some solutions, working with the uh, Protect Purdue implementation teams and it's, it's called, what the project is called is Project X Safe Campus. So the, the upshot is these student teams will try to come up with some recommendations of things that we can do in the fall, not only to make the campus safer, but also to make sure that the experience is still a robust one for the students. Um, my role in this is to try to match those students up with alumni coaches who can coach them through this case competition that we're going to have them do as, as they try to come up with some ideas to, to solve some of the issues that are happening. And, you know, we were hoping when this started to get maybe 100 students, we thought we would be doing well. Um, the registration ends today, but we're over 300 students who have applied for this, which is great, but it also means we need a lot of alumni coaches. So yeah. I've been sending a lot of emails and, and working that. That's the kind of a project that we do to try to involve our alumni. Um, I also am in charge of events. That's in my area. So when we bring speakers to campus and you know, over the years, we've had some some terrific speakers come into Purdue, uh, and I've had the opportunity to meet people like Ken Burns, uh, Tim Russert, uh, George Mitchell, uh, Steve Forbes. I mean, it's it's a who's who of business yeah. entertainment, uh, and that's been fun because I don't have to write the check for those. All I have to do <laughs> is sign the contract. But but that's another one of the things that is is in my role, and then. Just working with the overall communications plan of the school. We have a chief marketing officer who's just joined us a few months ago. And so I work with her and with our team to try to make sure that we're publicizing Cranard in the proper way. That's awesome. That's great work. And just keep that up. That's awesome. All the things you're doing up there to especially help uh, students for this fall. Also wanted to go back to, I, I love the WASK, WASK reference as when I was at Purdue in the, uh, uh, early 2000s, I uh, loved listening to WSK in their oldies when they were playing those at the time. So a lot of memories there as you well. You know, it was, Adam, it was really, a, I was really proud. I saw a picture today of, uh, that was taken, I think in 1992, they had a reunion at that time of some folks who had worked there. And at that time, I had been away from WASP for more than five years. But, you know, when I walked into that station as a 21-year-old back in 1982, um, that was the radio station in Lafayette and not just the radio station. That was the news source in Lafayette. And when, when there was breaking news or, or when Mike Pickett would come on with a state farm special report, you stopped what you were doing because you knew that it was big news and that we were the place that people went to when something was happening in the community. And for a 21 year old straight out of school to be able to be a part of that and a professional organization that was that good, 
um, it, it was an opportunity to learn an awful lot at a very early age. That's awesome. And Mike Piggott, funny you reference him, but I think uh, moved on to be the general manager over at WLFI, which is ironically where I started my, my professional uh, broadcasting uh, career as well. I think he left right be, uh, shortly before I uh, came on board. But Yeah, Mike still, uh, he's retired from the university, but he still works. And uh, uh, you'll see if, you've, if you've walked across the stage at the Elliott Hall of Music and, and graduated in the last, I don't know how many years, chances are 50-50 that he said your name because he is one of the public orators that they've used over the years. Awesome. Well, um, kind of as we talked about a little bit at the beginning, a lot of people know you from your voice uh, for uh, sports, for Purdue football, and maybe even um, more so for uh, Purdue women's basketball because you just simply just because you've been doing that uh, longer, um, doing that, I believe, uh, what, 30 years now? Is that correct? Just, fin just finished year 30, yeah. yeah. That's a long time to cover, but talk about, um, I mean, in that 30 years, uh, first of all, I mean, can you believe it's been that long? <laughs> you know, it, 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 it seems like a long time ago when it started, but the seasons kind of fly by and, and somebody will say, do you remember this team or that team? And I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to remember which players were on which teams who played together. Um, you remember people in general, but you don't remember necessarily who they were teamed with. But yeah, there have been a lot of memories over those 30 years. Most of them great. Some of them very difficult, but uh, it's, been, it's been a great run so far. Yeah, certainly have seen your share of up and downs. And certainly have seen your share of great coaches. And you got Lynn Dunn, Nell Fortner, uh, Carolyn Peck, Christy Curry, and of course, uh, currently Sharon Versa. Uh, and obviously, unfortunately, you know, Nell and Carolyn didn't stick around very long. Um, Would have liked to maybe see them stick around a little bit longer. But talk about just getting to call games and be on the sidelines with some of those great coaches. Well, and, and I, the great thing for me is I've, I've had, you, you mentioned the five coaches during that time. I've had great relationships, I think, with all of them. And that's really been a big part of the job. It would be difficult for me to do this job and to be around the program if, if you're with people that you don't like or don't respect. And, uh, you know, I look at Coach Fursip now and, and the person that she is, not just the basketball coach, but the person that she is off the court. And it, it really is, uh, it's, it's a pleasure and it's really an honor to be associated with that program and with the football program as well. Um, talk about some of your uh, favorite memories uh, calling games. I'm, I'm sure 1999 sticks out, but um, if so, talk about that one first and then any others. As Katie Douglas throws the ball skyward, it's over. Purdue wins 62 to 45, capturing the national championship. You know, that 99 team was a little bit, um, you knew going in we were going to be a really good basketball team. I mean, you, you look at who you had on that roster, you had five players on that roster that each scored at least 1,000 points at Purdue. So you had a lot of great offensive weapons. Um, it, but it was a very strange vibe the whole season because if you remember, Carolyn Peck had already decided and had been announced before the year that she was going to be leaving at the end of the season. So there was this kind of strange feeling that no matter what happens, at the end of the season, things are going to be a lot different. But I think that that team, and, and I'll always think of the leadership that Stephanie White McCarty at the time and Yukari Figs exhibited, because I, what really happened is the players bonded around those two, and, and they, were, they were terrific leaders on and off the court, and I think the other players responded to them. And it was a, it was a situation where Carolyn was able to get out of the way when she needed to get out of the way and let those players do what they did. And I think that was a testament to her. It was a testament to that team. And 
you know, I remember the national championship game, just thinking at halftime, and if, if Purdue fans remember, the, the Boilermakers were down 22 to 17 at halftime. And I just remember thinking as I was stalking back and forth during the halftime break, it can't end this way. It, it just wouldn't be right for it to end this way. And then Yukari Figs made sure in the second half <laughs> it didn't end this way. And, and she really helped will the team to victory that night. That's awesome. And a couple of years later, so, you know, following Peck, uh, Coach Curry came in. And then that was uh, right when I came to Purdue in uh, fall of 99, so the season after the national championship. And we were blessed, at least, you know, while I was on campus, to, to see good basketball from the women's program as well with uh, the, uh, the way Coach Curry uh, ran the program there and some, some really great players like Sharika Wright. And then even at the end of uh, Kelly Kamara and uh, Cooper's uh, career there, almost got another one in 2001. What are your memories from that year? Well, that's one of the downs that we didn't really want to talk about. Uh, you know, the, the ironic thing was that we were at our broadcast location that night was right by on the Notre Dame. And usually you're across from your own team when you broadcast a game. But we happened to be right across from the Notre Dame bench. And so the foul on Ruth Riley, whether it happened or not, uh, was called right in front of us. And Notre Dame's celebration took place right in front of us. Mm. And I just remember as Katie Douglas's shot that would have tied the game at the buzzer to send a game to overtime went off. I remember standing up because I wanted to make sure I could see at the other end of the floor. And the, the feeling was if you've been plugged in for, for weeks, if not months, and all of a sudden the plug came out of the wall. Mm. And I just remember almost going limp and I couldn't believe that it was over. And I couldn't believe that Purdue had lost because I thought it was a night that the Boilermakers were the better basketball team that yeah. night. And somehow Notre Dame found a way to pull it out at the end. But um, it, it was a tough night. It was a, and it, walking. I, I remember walking back to the hotel uh, and walking into the uh, past some of the players and coaches, and they were still crying. And it, it was a tough night. Uh, the highs in, in basketball and sports are great, but the lows sometimes can be pretty lows, and that was certainly a big low. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with you. Uh, of course, they're going to call us biased, but that was definitely a bad foul, foul call there. And a couple other calls I thought in that game could have went could have went Purdue's way uh, that didn't. So uh, definitely I agree with you, a game that Purdue could have and maybe should have won and agree where it was the better team. But I guess, you know, Notre Dame's got, got the trophy. So, um, Well, you know, remember at, at the beginning I said I wanted to go to Notre Dame. Well, that all flipped. Uh, <laughs> I, I went 180 degrees afterwards. So that was extra tough, not um, just to lose a game like that, but to lose it to the Irish was pretty tough. Sure. Uh, real quickly, before we move on from basketball, let's talk about the current state of the program. I know, unfortunately, this year ended early before we could see if they could have qualified and possibly made any kind of uh, tournament run this year. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the current and possible future state of the program? Well, it's going to be tough to replace the seniors that are leaving. I mean, Ariana Harris and Dominique Oden are going to leave in the top 10 in several categories. I mean, uh, Ariana Harris is the all-time shot blocker, not just in women's basketball history at Purdue, but in all Purdue basketball history. And Dominique Oden's one of the top 10 scorers. So you're going to lose a lot of production that you're going to have to fill in. I'm excited to see the incoming freshmen. I've seen Madison Layden play a few times from uh, Northwestern High School, and she's won some state championships there, and I'm, I'm anxious to see what she can do. Uh, but Carissa McLaughlin obviously is going to be a big role or a big have a big role in this team. And um, I, I think it's important. It's going to be interesting to me to see all the athletic teams, not just at Purdue, but around the country. How do you stay together now that everybody's scattered their own way for weeks, if not months? 
uh, and, and who can come together the fastest when we do resume, uh, whenever that is in the, in the, uh, later on in the fall and winter, uh, who, which teams are going to be ready mentally and physically. And uh, hopefully, and I know that uh, Sharon and Coach Versip has had uh, Zoom calls regularly with the team to try to make sure they stay connected. But, uh, you know, I think it's probably a season because of Harris and Odin leaving that the expectations may not be as high externally. But I know that internally, uh, the expectations are always high within the program. Right on. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, anxious to see what goes on there. And, and Sharon's continuing to recruit well. So hopefully those players can come in and, and develop quickly. Yep. Now, shifting gears to football, just finished your 10th year uh, doing play-by-play -play for that. You've seen, maybe even more so than basketball, you've seen your share of success and struggles uh, watching uh, Purdue football over the years. Um, talk about just some of your favorite memories over the last decade. Well, you know, we talk about the highs and lows. I mean, you look back and, and let's face it, it was tough there uh, during Daryl's era, uh, not only the, the results on the field, but looking at the stands and seeing a lot of empty mm -hmm. seats. And I can't remember, I think it might have been the Northwestern game that was the last home game of one of the seasons. And, you know, we probably had maybe 5,000 people in the stands at kickoff. And you look around and I remember Pete Quinn and I talking a lot that day about thinking, well, this is the low. This, it, it's not going to get worse than this, and we can't wait to see it get back to where it needs to be. And then you fast forward uh, four or five years to 2018, and we're not just beating Ohio State in Ross State Stadium, but pummeling them, and the fans rushed the field, and you had the whole Tyler Trent thing. And um, it's amazing how the world can – we talk all the time in sports. The world can change a lot in two or three hours, you know, your outlook on things. And uh, this took a little bit longer, but – that that gives you an idea of, of where you can go from a high and low standpoint. And I'm really hopeful that we can play a full season in 2020. And I'm anxious to see with the weapons that Jeff has offensively, what we can do with this football team. Yeah. You touched on a couple of things I was going to ask you about. So let's start with that most recent one. What are your expectations, thoughts? What are you hearing as far as if we'll see any kind of normal football season this fall? You know, if we had done this interview about a month ago, I would have been a lot less optimistic that we would have had football. But I think the, the tide has started to turn a little bit the other way. I do expect we'll have football. I don't think, I don't know if we're going to have football with all of the NCAA Division I schools. And, and particularly, out, I know in California, where the Cal State system has already said that they're going to have all online classes. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a hard sell to say if, to a kid at San Diego State, hey, it's not safe enough to bring everybody back to campus well, we'd like you to play football for sure. us anyway this fall. You know, if, if we're going to say that, that these are student athletes, I think they should be treated like a normal student athlete. Um, having said that, I think the Big Ten hopefully will be able to play with a full slate of 14 teams. And uh, I don't think we'll have full stands. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if, and I'm just throwing a number out, mm -hmm. if we have, let's say, 10 to 15,000 people at Ross-Aid Stadium instead of 50 to 60. But I think that's a possibility. And again, I'm a lot more optimistic now than I was a month ago. And you have to remember where we are in this. All of this started happening in early to mid-March. We're still about three months away from the start of the season. So we're actually further away from the start of the season than we are from the beginning of this. So who knows what's going to happen here in the next couple of months. The fact that they're bringing this, the football players back to campus this coming week is a positive sign. And, and let's hope that it continues to go well and, and that the, the cases stay uh, at, a, at a normal level, if not a declining level throughout not just the state, but around the country. And 
Um, I, I know that at Purdue, we're doing everything we can to try to make sure that uh, not only the students, but also the faculty and staff are as safe as they can be. And um, yeah, everybody's ready to get back to normal. We're just trying to do it in a thoughtful and really reasoned approach. I agree with you 100%. Obviously, the health and safety of the American people is, you know, at the forefront. But I'm, I'm hopeful and optimistic like you are that, you know, and a little bit selfish, but that uh, we might see some uh, football this fall. And again, like what you were saying, with the weapons, if all healthy, the weapons that uh, Coach Brom and the team have this year uh, make me excited to, to, to see that product on the field. Uh, you also mentioned the, uh, the Tyler Trent game, which I wanted to – Well, I'm to also excited to see – Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I'm also excited to see what Bob Diaco can do on the defense. Defensive yeah. side, you know, we we got to see about uh, seven or eight practices here this this spring, and to see what he was going to do, and and he he certainly brings a lot of intensity and energy to the to the situation. So uh, it it should be a fun season. Again, hopefully we can we can play a full season and and uh, have it without interruption this year. Right on. You also mentioned the uh, 2018 uh, Ohio State, also known as the Tyler Trent game. Talk about that atmosphere that night and, and calling that game. Well, you know, it was a strange night because if, if fans remember around, so the game, I think, if I remember right, was an eight o'clock kickoff. Around four o'clock, there was a huge storm that came through Lafayette, maybe four or 4.30. And I usually get to the stadium uh, anywhere between three and four hours before kickoff, just because I want to make sure I get in. And we have a pregame show and home games, we do a Facebook live segment. And so I came in, and, and for those fans who are familiar with Ross Aid and the, and the surrounding area, they, they park the media now at, out at the uh, golf course parking lots in that area, and then they, they bring us in on golf carts. Uh, and that night, I had just gotten into the stadium and had gotten into the press box, and somebody asked me if I saw the big tree that had gone down. And, and apparently, it happened after I came in, but a huge tree on the golf course blew over. And thankfully didn't hit anybody because, I, I, you know, looking at that afterward, it would have crushed a lot of people if it had fallen in the wrong spot. So the whole night was off to a little bit of a bizarre start for me because you had this freaky weather coming in. But you could tell that night from 45 minutes to an hour before kickoff that there was going to be an electric atmosphere. There were a lot of Ohio State fans in the crowd, and I'm sure that they were expecting a pretty easy night. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the funny thing is talking to Coach Brown and talking to the coaches, they had a pretty good idea that they were going to be able to move the ball and score against Ohio State. They, they had seen some things against the Buckeyes that they thought they could exploit. Their big question was whether they could outscore them, whether, whether you know, Purdue's defense could hold them to enough. And as much as we remember Rondale Moore and uh, DJ Knox and those big runs, it was really the defense that stood up and, and held Ohio State to a couple of field goals until the fourth quarter and made that possible. And uh, it just re I just remember the electricity uh, in the stands and after the game when the lights start flashing and, and Tyler's being wheeled out. It, it was it's a night that none of us will ever forget. Certainly, man. It, yeah, I agree with you. It, goosebumps just uh, talking about it and thinking about it again, for sure. Um, so we have talked about that that night and a lot of other memories and uh, good seasons there up at Purdue. Any that we didn't talk about, a favorite athlete or favorite story that uh, that sticks out to you? Well, you know, for me, looking back on the now 25 plus years I've been involved with the broadcast because I was with 
uh, with the crew for 15 years, producing for Joe McConnell uh, before I took over in the, his, his role when he retired. You know, the first two years of the Joe Tiller era were just so, not just unexpected, but so exciting. And it was funny, especially that first season, 1997, we would go and, and play a game and you would see the other teams scramble to try to defend the offense like they had never watched any game film. You know, we, we get a great vantage point because we're up high in the press box. And you could see it. if we've got three wide receivers out to the left-hand side and they put two defensive backs out there, it's going to be a bubble screen every time. And yet defenses took a year to figure that out and to adjust to it. And it was just funny to watch. I remember in particular Wisconsin that first year in 97. I, I just wonder if the films had gotten lost going up to Madison <laughs> because it was like they had no idea what was coming. And the rest of us did. And it was, it was, a, it was a fun day, a fun year. And, and I, I knew Joe from back in the 1980s when I worked at WASK and he was the defensive uh, coach at Purdue. Uh, we had gotten to know each other. And I actually, he's a big country uh, music fan. And so I had gotten him a hat from the FM station that we had that played country. So I was his buddy uh, before, <laughs> when he came back to, to Purdue. But we got along great. And I got a chance. You, to, you get a chance to know a lot of these people both on and off the field. And after Joe retired, he and a group of us from athletics would go out to uh, Cincinnati every year and go to a Reds game. Uh, we, we'd do an, uh, an afternoon game. We'd stop at Montgomery Inn for some ribs and then go. And, and he was – he would put his hat on, his straw hat on, and, and the big – with the big brim. Nobody would recognize him. <laughs> he was just another guy watching a baseball game with his buddies. Um, and I, I contrast that. I took Gene Cady up a couple of times in public. And one time in particular, I uh, – when I, I think I was – I may have been at the Alumni Association at the time. And we had Gene doing both a lunch and a dinner in Chicago. And in between, we took him to a Cubs game. And let me tell you, you walk around the stands at Wrigley Field with Gene Cady, he gets a <laughs> lot of comments. Most of them positive, but you had a few non-Purdue fans in there. It was just a real interesting contrast where, you know, Joe Tiller could have been the guy next door that nobody paid any attention to. And Gene, now this is still in the days when Gene had the comb over, so <laughs> it was pretty recognizable wherever he was. But uh, and he loved it. He just, he, he always loved playing off the fans and whether they booed him or cheered him, <laughs> he always had a smile for him. He always kept us cool. That's awesome. I love that story. And it's, it's great seeing him still around the program and yep. uh, seeing him at games still. Uh, obviously, um, uh, Coach Painter doing an, uh, an amazing job for the, uh, the men's program up there as well. You've been surrounded and blessed with some, some great coaches and some great broadcasters between Joe and Pete and, uh, and Larry, of course, just all these guys that you've had to uh, be able to surround yourself with. You know, probably, uh, Adam, the two biggest influences in my broadcasting career without question have been John DeCamp and Joe McConnell. And when I was a student at Purdue, John DeCamp was running WBAA, the campus radio station. And I had had the opportunity my last couple of years there I was broadcasting West Lafayette high school games. Uh, they used to broadcast, uh, WBAA used to broadcast all the boys basketball and football games. And uh, Ken Double, who actually had been in, in Lafayette for a while in, in sports and then went to Indianapolis, Ken was just making the move from Lafayette to Indy. And so uh, his spot opened up. And so I stepped in as, you know, 18 or 19 year old kid driving around 
North Central Indiana covering uh, West Lafayette sports. Well, John had taken a shining to me because he knew that I was interested in sports broadcasting and he thought I had some ability. And my most memorable 30 minutes at Purdue wasn't in a classroom and it wasn't at Ross Ader at Mackey Arena. It was in the studios. I was editing tape. And if, if you're, you're too young to remember the days when you didn't have a, Adobe Audition or things. We actually were using a, a razor blade and splicing tape. And wow. so I'm putting together a package and he comes over to the tape deck where I'm working. And he just started talking to me. He said he had heard the game I had done the previous Friday night. And he told me the things that he thought I had done well and the things that I could improve upon. And we just talked about philosophy and, and the, the 30 minutes that I had with him talking about just the, the ins and outs and the ABCs of broadcasting was the most valuable advice I've ever had in my life. And so John DeCamp was a huge factor in, in my whatever <clears throat> success I've had. And then Joe McConnell, the, the opportunity to work with Joe for 15 years, um, you know, the, the, he had the voice of God. Uh, he had a passion for sports that really is unrivaled. And I was always sitting to his left. And when there was a big play, let's say uh, Drew Brees is going to throw a big pass, he would almost, he would hunch up in his chair and he would start to bounce up and down like he was a jockey coming, to, you know, riding the winter down the stretch at Churchill Downs. And it was, it was like a, a real act of nature to sit next to him and watch him perform. And uh, he was a great person on and off the, 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 the microphone. We, we talked until uh, just before he passed away a few years ago, we would talk at least a weekly or at least monthly if not every week and uh, he loved sports he loved all Purdue sports and and those two really were the two that have shaped me more than anybody else that's awesome appreciate you sharing all these uh, stories with Tim I feel like I could talk to you for hours about all yours and my memories from our uh, time at Purdue um, and just also wanted to say you know I, I worked a lot of Saturdays up to a few years ago I worked Saturdays a lot so spent a lot of time driving around in a car um, listening to you and Joe over the years. So I've always really appreciated and enjoyed uh, listening to you guys over the years. Well, one of the things that John told me is uh, you have to picture yourself. You are the eyes of the people that are listening. They wish they were sitting in your seat. So it's a very simple thing in broadcasting. All you have to do is tell people what you see. Now, if you can do that in a way that's, that's fun, that's <laughs> energetic without being over the top, um, and you know, we, we take what we do seriously. We don't always take ourselves so seriously. We have a lot of, I can tell you, even when Purdue football was going through its toughest times, uh, we had a blast up in the broadcast booth. Uh, if people could hear what happens during the commercials, sometimes they would be a lot more entertained than what they hear during the game. But, uh, you know, it's, it's been a privilege to be able to do what I've been able to do. And my whole Purdue experience, you get the best of both worlds because I've, I see the academic side. I sit on that 40 plus hours a week. And then I'm able to go to the fun side, the toy side and, <laughs> and see that. And, and, you know, you merge the two. I mean, you, you people like Drew Brees and Brian Cardinal who have been Craner graduates <laughs> and have had great success. Uh, it's really fun to see those people go through and, and uh, not only have success on the field, but also in the classroom. Right on. And I was asking you this too. Do you find it tough, and maybe you get some more leniency since you technically work uh, work for Purdue and calling these games? Do you find it hard to to be fair and biased and not get excited about you know starting to to root for the team while you're calling a game? You know, there's and this is again back to that 30 minute conversation I had with John. 
people who tune into our broadcast should have absolutely no doubt that we want Purdue to win. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if, if uh, we live, Pete, Pete's a Purdue graduate. Uh, Kelly Kitchell's a Purdue grad. Rob Blackman's been around Purdue forever. Alan Karpik, who's up in the booth with us, is a Purdue grad. Sure, we want Purdue to win. And sure, we're going to be a little bit biased. I tend to be a little bit more neutral than, than Pete. Um, Pete, <laughs> if you slit his wrist open, it would be all gold and black. And if you... <laughs> And if you look at his eyeballs, they're all gold and black. And sometimes he has a hard time seeing a little bit more objectively than the rest of us. So I try to be honest. If you know, we, we have the opportunity in football to see, see a replay. And I'll tell somebody if I think, hey, I think we got a good call there, a bad call, or uh, we got something in our favor. But, but there should be no doubt when people listen to us that, that we're on Purdue's side. I you have to be believable. Mm -hmm. And and I think you have to be credible. And if you're those two things, uh, you know we're not gonna we're not gonna tear into the the team. We're not gonna tear into coaches. Uh, but but we have to be honest with what we see. And mm -hmm. and that does. There are times it gets difficult. I mean, you go back to those years when you win nine football games in four years. Mm -hmm. It's pretty tough to come to the stadium every week and be upbeat. But that's part of being a professional. And and again, uh, we're. I tell people, we're not in the sports business, we're in the entertainment business. And there are a lot of things that people can do on a Saturday afternoon or on a night when there's a basketball game on. So you have to give them a reason to stay with you from start to finish, whether your team's doing well or whether they're not. Yeah, I hear you. I remember my first year working up at WLFI shooting uh, Purdue games. So it was only, you know, the semester after I graduated and shooting a game and trying to stay focused on actually shooting the play and not getting excited and just focus on my job at hand it was it was tough at first you, you kind of get used to it yeah. but it... and I, th I think I've gotten better at that I probably was more critical of officials earlier in my career and I, I just first of all they're doing the best they can and in very 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 few cases it a, is it a personal thing there may be a call that went against your team but it's not because official x hates your players or hates your coaches it's just they missed a call and, and they're human like the rest of us. Um, yeah, you know, it's keeping, it, it, you want to be, you, you have to be excited, but you also have to be credible and, and kind of keep at least one toe of one foot on the ground at all times. And you mentioned Pete Quinn. Uh, Pete Quinn also uh, as a, another part of his role up there with the Boiler Business Exchange. I plan on having him on a, a future podcast uh, talking about that in the near future. So again, keep coming uh, full circle with, uh, with all these people. So you may have to expand that one to two hours. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, Tim, unless there's anything else you want to add, I, I mean, I've really in, in enjoyed our time, but I don't want to hold you up too long. Um, anything else you want to add before we go? Well, first of all, thanks for the opportunity to do this. And really it's been, it's been fun. It's this, this is my, I'm just starting my 32nd year working at Purdue. But if you go back to when I was a freshman here, it's coming up on 42 years this fall, and it's, it's been the majority of my life. Um, I've, I was, I guess, born to be a Boilermaker, and I'll die a Boilermaker. Uh, it's been an honor to service the university in, in any way that I've been able to, and also to meet some of the people that I've met, not only the Purdue graduates who've been very successful, but also the, the, the people I've met through uh, this forum and through this opportunity uh, it's been it's been a dream, and it's it's uh, it's something I don't take for granted, and and hope uh, health uh, providing that I can do it for a long long time to come. Amen, amen. Well, like I said earlier, I really appreciate you. I, lo I love listening to you, and 
really appreciative of your time. And it's nothing left else to say, but boiler up. That was my last statement. Boiler up and hammer down. Thanks, Adam. Thank you, Tim. A reminder, you can follow the Full Steam Ahead podcast on Twitter at Full Steam Pod. And you can always listen to, like, comment, subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Full Steam Ahead podcast. Until next time, I'm Adam Bartels.